Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. One of the areas that uh, has attracted a lot of attention recently is the uh, uh, the microbiome, and that's uh, essentially a name for all the different types of uh, bacteria that live in our uh, digestive system. And um, we're discovering now that these bacteria uh, re- can be responsible for a lot of uh, health benefits or illnesses and hence a lot of research is being done on identifying, um, you know, the and trying to understand which are the, the best bacteria for us to have. And then, of course, uh, a lot of food companies are, are getting on the bandwagon and advertising, you know, eat their product for gut health and, and uh, so forth. Um, and we know that uh, dietary fibre plays an important part, uh, all the different types of food, and it seems that the the greater the variety of plant-based food that we eat each day, um, the healthier our microbiome is likely to be. And we have talk about... Um, uh, you know, prebiotics too. That's all the dietary fibre, and the and the probiotics are the the different type of bacteria. But one of the uh, the, the ba- common bacteria that um, is in our digestive system is E. e. coli, and um, or in our bowel, and the um, there and of course there can be bad types of uh, e. e. coli can evolve, and these can be. Um, result in food uh, uh, poisoning. Um, but uh, this is a very common bacteria that makes up a large uh, proportion of our feces. And it's one of the bacteria that's been you know, quite extensively studied. Its um, uh, genome um, was uh, worked out, and it's, it's quite, quite complex. It's um, this little bacteria, which is single-celled organism, uh, no nucleus, and um, it um, uh, um, contains um, you know over four thousand, matter of fact, four thousand two hundred eighty-eight genes um, are involved in the um, in the uh, coordinating the structure of this little um, bacterium. Um, and, uh, it's, and which means that the, the total base pairs of nucleotides in the DNA is around 4.6 million. So it's a, a huge um, amount of genetic information just to encode this little bacteria. Um, there are 131 genes involved in processing uh, amino acids, and so this is one of the important roles of um, bac- uh, bacteria um, in helping to uh, break down uh, some of our uh, food and, and metabolise some two amino acids that then our body can use. And I know at the University of Newcastle for a number of years they were doing a lot of research in the area of uh, chronic fatigue syndrome to try and look at ways that um, they could uh, help people with this uh, particular syndrome and one of the areas that they were looking at was uh, and made uh, certainly some progress in was looking at the types of amino acids that uh, bacteria seem to be involved in producing for the body and um, and using these to um, 
these particular amino acids to ameliorate the, the symptoms of chronic fatigue. If we look at just uh, the, the cofactors that are involved in biosynthesis, there's 103 genes. So these are 103 pieces of specific, of different specific codes that are required for this function. Just the envelope of the cell involves 195 genes. So 195 sets of genetic information are required um, just to construct the envelope surrounding the cell which protects it. Uh, we've got 188 genes involved in cellular processes. Uh, we've got another around 188 genes involved in metabolism. Uh, 243 um, uh, involved in uh, energy metabolism in addition to the intermediary metabolism one. Um, and uh, 48 involved in fatty acid and lipid metabolism. Um, there's 45 genes involved in regulatory functions. 115 genes are involved in replication of the, of the cell uh, so that it in effect can reproduce. Um, so we can see um, it, it's an extremely complex system, just this little simple cell. And um, in fact, the living E. coli cell involves about uh, 4,750 different types of complex biopolymer type molecules are involved um, and, uh, in about 800 different simultaneous chemical reactions are occurring all the time. I think, you know, mo most people who believe in evolution believe in evolution because that's what they've been taught. And this is a theory that was, you know, developed over 150 years ago, basically. And it's, it's now really, in, in the light of the knowledge that we have of biochemistry, it's just totally impossible um, for these complex systems to have evolved by chance chemical reactions uh, occurring in nature. That's essentially what um, evolution requires, chance chemical reactions forming these complex structures and, and eventually, you know, DNA and all this sort of thing. And when we think about it, it obviously is so impossible. And one, one of the things now, of course, that scientists are working on so hard is to try and justify evolution. When we look at the scientific evidence, you know, straight at the evidence, there's overwhelming evidence it's absolutely impossible. Well, even when we look at the fossil record, we find fully formed functioning animals. We don't find fossils of intermediate species. Sure, there's, you know, you know, maybe half a dozen species that, or animals that people argue over could be intermediates, but really there should be millions, hundreds of millions of intermediate species, all involving the evolutionary steps, you know. And one of the puzzles, and I think even Darwin recognised this, in the fossil record, flowering plants just appear fully developed. There's no transition from, uh, you know, pines across to flowering plants, this sort of thing. Um and, um, you know, the, with complex reproductive uh, systems uh, that produce seeds in the female part of the flower and so forth, um, you know, when we look at the fossil record, the fossil record doesn't show evolution. It just shows fully formed, fully functioning components. And when we look at something like E. coli, which is so small, we can't even see them with the naked eye. 
Uh, we have to use quite a, a strong microscope to see E. coli um, and and these you know sort of bacteria there, uh, but they're there you know all all around us. But you know when we delve in, and I've looked at the complexity just of the genetic information, just at the genetic code, and all these genes are working together, functioning. When we look at some of the th- things, when we think of this little you know, E. coli that's, you know, sort of swimming around in our, our bowel there. Um, it's, it's propelled along by a little flagellum, a little, little propellers uh, flagellum. And um, these are tiny little, like, structures that propel the bacteria around. And they spin. And um, these are driven by little motors, little electric motors that spin at more than 20,000 revolutions per minute. Matter of fact, in some bacteria, the little electric motors in them reach over 100,000 revs per minute. Now, it takes a pretty sophisticated car engine to rev over about six or 7,000 revs per minute these days. And so here we have these um, um, little electric motors uh, swimming at uh, spinning uh, in E. coli at over 20,000 uh, revolutions per minute. I think it's 22,800 it's, is um, the measured speed and some at over 100,000. And uh, these act as a little propeller. Um, but the E. coli's motor is only about 45 millionths of a metre wide. 45 millionths of a metre or 45 thousandths of a millimetre. So we know a millimetre is pretty small. Just imagine 45 thousandths of a millimetre. And so um, to about 2,000 of them could be lined up across the width of a human hair. Um, and it's a nanomachine. It's an amazing nanomachine. And even in the you know, secular evolutionary literature, it's described as a remarkable nanomachine or a sophisticated rotary motor, um, an example of elegance in uh, molecular engineering. Um, and so even you know, secular scientists recognise um, this sort of, uh, of thing um, when we look at the amazing structure. The motor is actually composed of parts that perform similar functions to the ones found in well, human design motors. So they include gears, a rotor, axles, drive shafts, bushings, a universal joint, um, and adapter rings. So, and we need to remember that each of these components requires its own specific genetic code involved using four letters. That we abbreviate the chemicals that they make them up, uh, the chemical components are abbreviated A, C, T, and G. And um, the fascinating thing is, just like electric motors in our washing machines and hair dryers and, you know, blenders at home um, and industrial electric motors in electric trains and electric cars um, and so forth are powered by electricity. Uh, So the little bacterium flagellum is powered by electricity. And the bacterial cell 
uh, membrane functions actually as a highly efficient capacitor. So you might remember that a capacitor is uh, so usually made up of uh, two conductive plates uh, separated by an insulator. And so um, this um, uh, uh, capacitor that's in the little bacteria keeps the positive and negative charges apart. And this electrical difference is created by a little proton uh, pumps. So a proton, remember, is a positive uh, charged particle or hydrogen ions. Um, and remember, if we split water up, we split uh, water, which is hyd- uh, you know, two H2O, two hydrogen atoms combined to a, an oxygen atom. We split water up into a hydrogen. Um, and so if we pass an electric current, uh, through water, uh, providing there are some conducting ions there, we can split um, water up and um, have the hydrogen uh, generated and it will be generated as hydrogen ions. And so um, these proton pumps take the hydrogen ions or protons and remove them from the cell. And these positively charged particles then flow back into the cell acting like an electric current. So in a household electric current, we, it involves the flow of a negative, negatively charged particles, electrons, whereas in the um, bacteria, it involves the flow of positive charged particles. And as these protons flow through the little flagella motor, they cause it to spin. And at the base of the motor is um, a central gear surrounded by um, about 11... Um, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, up to 11 powered gears. Um, and in some other bacteria, uh, there can be up to 18 gears. Um, and the current flowing through the powered gears causes them to rotate, driving the central gear. And um, so these are little gears that surround a, um, uh, a central gear, a bit similar to epicyclic gears in um, the old automatics automatic gearboxes in cars, I guess. Um, And the powered gears rotate around the axles that are anchored to the cell wall. Um, The rotor connects the central gear to the drive shaft, um, which is, um, it's made of an inner ring and an outer ring and an adapter ring and a socket. Um, And then the drive shaft passes outside the cell through a ring of proteins that serve as bushings. So, you know, for... People to believe that these structure, right, evolved by random mutations uh, that work so precisely. It's a, it's a machine. It's a real machine. Chemical molecules don't assemble themselves into machines naturally. This is something that, as we looked at E. coli, all the um, Genes and the huge number of genes that are there encoding the information for this structure to be built from the uh, DNA. Um, it's interesting that the outer surface of the drive shaft and the inner surface of the bushings are each very smooth. I mean, that's just another factor that it has to be um, for it to operate and are separated by a thin layer of fluid. Um, and so just like with you know normal bearings in a car, we generally have a thin layer of uh, fluid and hence the role of the oil pump, for example, in gasoline engines. 
Um, and these optimally designed bushings allow the drive shaft to rotate with very little friction, making the motor almost 100% efficient. Now, isn't that amazing? So, in actual fact, the design is better than anything we've made with our best engineers. And yet, we assume that there was no designer behind this motor. You know... Uh, it really, really frustrates me that we, in our education system, are continuing to teach evolution. I don't mind if they teach evolution as a historical scientific theory, but we need to recognise the fact that there was a, a super intelligent, a supernatural creator that designed and made these things, that knows everything, that knows all the laws of physics, all the laws of chemistry. Um, it's interesting that you know there's there's more a hook shaped universal joint has about 120 moving parts each a highly specialized protein that's just in the design of the universal joint in this little motor you know it staggers the mind again to, for people to blindly say oh well these bacteria evolved very early on when we look at the complexity of these uh, structures in it um, this particular design with these specialised proteins that smoothly expand and contract as it rotates, this design makes it very resistant to twisting but very flexible to bend. Two important measurement requirements for an efficient universal joint. Now, this is in a very interesting article that um, I was reading by a, um, a scientist, uh, David Thomas, um, that was called E. coli's electric motor, a marvel of design. Uh, and it certainly is. He points out that the motor has two gear shifting mechanisms, one to change the direction of rotation and one to adjust the power output. The motor switches between forward and reverse gear in less than a millisecond by changing the diameter of the top central gear. So I guess that's um, in a way a bit similar to the old-fashioned epicyclic gearboxes, Um, like in the old Wilson pre-selector gearboxes, I guess, maybe. The second gear mechanism performs the same function as gears on a bicycle. If the cell swims into a thicker fluid, it becomes harder to rotate the propellers. The motor detects this using torque sensors... So here we've got other little sensor molecules and automatically engages more powerful gears with the central gear, increasing the rotational force produced by the motor. The opposite occurs if the cell swims into thinner fluid. This sophisticated gear mechanism makes the whole system extremely energy efficient and doesn't use any more power than is needed. You know, automatic gearboxes, I think the first one was the hydromatic, um, original hydromatic developed by uh, General Motors. I know it came out in the 49 Cadillac. I had a 49 Cadillac with a hydromatic gearbox in it. But, you know, that took a lot of engineers to uh, develop that uh, automatic gearbox. Here we have one in E. coli, which are bacteria that, you know, are quite early on in the evolutionary chain of things. The complexity of constructing E. coli's electric motor far exceeds the complexity of the motor itself. Numerous machines, motors and proteins are required to manufacture, transport and assemble each of the motor's parts in their precise location in the Pacific time needed. 
And so again, as this little cell reproduces, and we saw the number of genes involved in in reproduction, um, and is being assembled, the new little cell is being assembled, it involves these other machines to assemble the motor. Um, and besides the complicated system that locates the flagellum genes and makes proteins from them via transcription and translation, the um, and again, when we looked at uh, transcription and, and translation, there were tens of genes were involved just in this mechanism itself. The cell has to produce a chemical fuel, um, which is ATP, to power many of the assembling, assembly machines. It has to transport the newly manufactured proteins to an export machine and protect them on the journey. Then it has to cut a hole in the cell wall for the drive shaft to pass through without bursting the cell. Then it has to form temporary scaffolding to assist the assembly of the other pro- proteins. And the author points out that's just a start. Many of these tasks cannot be performed by single machines but require the collaboration of numerous these little nano machines, along with complicated production lines to make this motor. Some of these machines also have proofreading systems which check that their tasks are performed correctly and sometimes call on other repair machines to fix mistakes. Isn't that amazing in a little bacteria that we think that this whole system evolved by random mutations? How would random mutations have developed proofreading systems? I mean... It's, it just blows the mind. And we're talking about, as I said, a lintel single-cell bacteria. We're talking about single-cell bacteria. Proteins are manufactured with the identification tags used to identify, sort, and export the different proteins. The export machine controls the timing of delivery for each protein and communicates with machines at the start of the protein production line so that a backlog is not generated. Export machine also has a built-in rotary motor that unfolds the proteins. Other machines at the assembly site refold the proteins into place. Motor construction has three stages. In stage one, a genetic program takes numerous input signals from sensors which detect the cell's acidity, oxygen levels, temperature, salinity and other factors as well as communication signals from other bacteria cells. And um, it uses this signal stream to decide if the conditions are right to make the flagellum. Next, the core structures of the motor and the hook are assembled. Then the propeller filament, the navigation system and the powered gears are assembled. The last step of the second stage is the construction of the hook, which, to work most efficiently, must be made to 55 nanometres in length. It's, it's interesting, um, you know, the, the references, if you're interested in, in some of these, is uh, sporing one, uh, I, sorry, sporing I, uh, hook length of bacterial flagellum is optimised for maximum stability of the flagella bungle. Journals, plos.org, 6th of September, 2018. And so um, there's another really good article by uh, A. Baker, an um, O'Toole. Um, bacteria rev your engines. State of dynamics uh, regulate flagellum motility. That was published in the Journal of Bacteriology, 
uh, 25th of May 2017. And another one uh, that was published in Nature, uh, Nature uh, Communications by um, Yamaguchi, uh, T and others, Structure of the Molecular Bushings of the Bacterial Flagella Motor. Uh, Nature Communications, you can see it, nature.com, 22nd of July 2021. Look, there's so much has been done. Um, and you know, when we look at these things, despite the clear evidence of design, many evolutionists persist in claiming that the flagella motor evolved through random mutations and selections. Um, you know, it's um, and and this is what is being taught in the in the textbooks. Um, but you know, it's um, interesting that the the timing and the logistics of the construction of these processes are actually overseen by another sophisticated program. Um, and this uh, genetic program functions like a computer program with circuitry, feed-forward and feedback loops, input and output signals, and logic gate functions. Um, it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. The genetic program includes over 50 genes organised into groups called operons, which are further organised into three classes. Genes contain instructions on how to make particular proteins. A protein produced from one gene can switch other genes in the program on and off, forming genetic circuitry. The production of different proteins is prioritised according to when they are required at the assembly site. You know, this is an absolutely amazing uh, system and um, this um, a, a summary, a lay-level article was published uh, by, um, written by David uh, Thomas um, and uh, it's in, um, in Creation, Volume 44, Number 1, um, 2022. You know, it really astounds me when we see what is involved in just the design, the control systems for this little motor that controls the flagellum on a bacteria. And in particular, E. coli has been studied. It's one of the most studied bacteria, I guess, in science. Um, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And evolutionists believe that this evolved. Um, and, of course, we, according to the evolutionary theory, bacteria evolved quite early on in the system. But, you know, E. coli have been bred through thousands of generations, tens of thousands of generations. They haven't evolved anything new or different. They haven't evolved into a new species of bacteria. There's been, you know, some minor changes that take place, but... Nothing, you know, no new body parts and all this sort of thing. And so we've done this, people have done the studies. We haven't seen evolution happening. The, the structure of living organisms, when we drill down into the detail, it's just so amazingly complex. And yet we're continuing to teach our children about evolution, that we all evolved. And there, of course, people then begin to doubt that there is a God. When in actual fact, this is overwhelming evidence for a creator God overwhelming evidence and that creator God revealed himself through Jesus Christ and of course we can read about that we can read the historical evidence in the Bible uh, for this particularly in the New Testament and in the Gospels and when it comes to eternity a knowledge of evolution isn't going to save us but a knowledge of Jesus Christ can save us 
You've been listening to Faith and Science. And remember, if you want to re-listen to these programs, just Google 3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au and click on the radio and the Listen the Faith and Science Listen button. And remember to tell your friends and put the links up on social media too so other people can learn these amazing evidence for our Creator. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 